My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 150 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Welcome one, welcome all. Dude, so our our birthday's coming up in two weeks, and I'm pretty pumped. I wonder if anyone's going to yeah. send me a cake. Oh, yeah. Oh, I man. totally want a cake. Hey, I, hey. Just saying. All hey, the fondants. Send us treats. If you yeah. live if you live in the Philadelphia area, figure out a way to ship a key lime pie from McMillan's Bakery in Hamtown, oh, New Jersey. Because that key lime pie is the best shit in the world. So good. Also, if you're listening and you are in the Philadelphia area, if you want to stop by the removery at 18th and Chestnut on May 4th, the actual Cinepunk's birthday, say hi to me. I'll be right there sitting there waiting for you. I love that we have a birthday because you were like, May the 4th, we'll never forget it. <laughs> yeah, it's like May the 4th and then the Jawbreaker song, May the 4th, Sluttering. <laughs> May uh, 4th. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's the perfect convection of like punk and movie. I don't know if Jawbreaker can be considered punk, but still, you know, they're not telling anyone. They're not. They don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, The Daniels. The Daniels. Two movies by The Daniels. We're going to be talking about everything, everywhere, all at once, and Swiss Army Mans. Now, I feel like we've talked about the Swiss Army Mans when it came out, but I don't think we did a full episode. I think we just talked about it in our Whack and On Track. What's funny is that we watched it again, and Melani was like, you don't remember that we watched this? I'm like, no, not even one thin memory of having seen it before. we talked about it on the show. And now you're telling me that we talked about it on the show, which is like, who was that man? Here's the deal. I straight up didn't listen to what we said because I didn't want to, like, poison my take, so to speak. Like, Uh that, that would be bad, but I didn't want talking about it now to be like this is what i used to think but now i think this i i remember really liking it and then feeling weird about it later so i won't say what i i I won't say what i think now but we'll see if it compares but i didn't listen specifically to what we said on the show because i was like what if i'm worried about repeating myself i might just say all the same shit i said when this movie came out i don't care i'm not gonna (laughs) i don't give a shit no one even knows i'm pretty sure no one's listened to it uh, I'm okay. Hey, with that. Somebody listened. That was back when people listened to the show. So that's oh, there right, was a lot right, of people. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. the golden heyday. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it was on the episode with the movie John folks. Oh God, that was so long ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. I mean, that movie was was, was a while ago. And they've done other things since then. They've done some TV, uh, the directors, and uh the one one of the Daniels has directed some things without the other Daniels. So uh the death of Dick Long, if anyone saw that. that oh was yeah, that was Daniels. a brutal movie. I love that movie. That was great. I mean, it's wild. It's a wild movie for sure. It's definitely a lot more stayed than when their powers are combined. Uh, Yeah, I think that's true. I think they definitely go for some wild things. They try to push the envelope. For envelope pushers, these Daniels. Yeah. yeah. But yes. before we get to that, Liam, who do we have yes. to thank? Uh, you know, first and foremost, we want to thank all of our faithful supporters on Patreon. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. If you're someone who thinks like, well, it's great. I get this free product regularly. It'd be nice if I could support the network in some way, not just us, but horror business, Twitch of the Death Nerve. Uh, we have some new shows coming on board, the Carnage Report with Nick Spachak. Uh, we've got um, the Shameless Picture Show. A bunch of new stuff is 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 joining up on to the network. You want to financially support that, head on over to patreon.com backslash cinepunks. And uh, find out about it. I'll, I'll be honest. 
we we try to we we want there to be bonus material on there. It's just not there yet, you know. But we're we're gonna get there. I think I think the model is gonna be. I just need to set up once a month a recording with whoever's available to record with me, and that will be the bonus material. Whoever can get on a call, that's that's what we'll put up there, just because we want to say thank you to people who support us. But you're not really – it's not like a an exchange, you know, like let's keep that in mind. <laughs> Patreon is not, a, is not a business deal where you're buying something. You're there to support the work of the network. That's why people give money. We try to give you thank you gifts. But it's not about like buying a cool T-shirt, though we do have cool T-shirts if you want one. Uh, it's really just about helping us be able to afford to do this because our goal right now, you know, we're not making money from this. We're just trying not to lose money. And by we, it's, it's mostly me. But, you know, I get money from some other people too sometimes. So uh, we're, try- we're just trying to keep us afloat here. And hopefully we can build the Patreon to the point where we are financially compensating people. We're just still a, a far way away from that. So check it out. Patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. We also have some uh, sponsors. Uh, we got our buddies over there at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, Josh, what do they do at LVAC? Well, at LVAC, if you have like a thing that you want to promote on a wearable or usable good, if that good needs to be screen printed, you can go to xlvacx.com and tell Chris Reject, hey, Chris Reject, my underwater basket weaving club needs a T-shirt design and printed shirts for its membership to decry to the world how much we love underwater basket weaving. Mm. Chris Reject will do that for you for a, for a monetary price. To be fair, there are so many underwater basket weaving clubs that do uh, shirts true. at LVAC that you might be on a wait list. But that's you, okay. You got to stand out, though, baby. You know what I'm saying? You got to yeah. you got to tell the world. So yeah. you know, if you want to get your uh, hip hop crew, if you guys want to have uh, sure monogram sweatpants yeah. down the down the leg that says your crew, yeah. you know, Pro- in probably, college block letters, maybe. Pro- probably not if you're a graffiti crew because you probably want to be in. Incog- I don't know if you guys realize this year. Burgeoning graffiti crew. You don't want matching sweatshirts because then no. you will get arrested. Because then bad. they'll know. But if you looked at any pictures of the tough crew from the Philly in back of the day, you know what that looks like and how tough that is. And if you need that kind of crew rep for your hip hop sure. crew, dude, talk to Chris Reject. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He'll hook you up. And then if you tell him that Cinepunk sent you, Whoa. they'll charge you 10% more. <laughs> it's dope. No, they stop. No, it's they will. It's the friend discount. <laughs> <laughs> we love so, you, Chris. Yeah, go to xlvacx.com and uh, hit them up for, for your screen printing needs. We also want to thank Aaron Dahlbeck of Essex Coffee Roasters, faithful sponsor and all around great dude, one of my personal heroes. Also, one of the purveyors of one of the new finest singles that Hardcore has seen. I'll leave you with this, of which I got lyrics from that song tattooed on my hand. Because, you know, that's how your boys do it these days. Just live and fly. And, uh, yeah, well, Essex Coffee Roaster is, um, you know, is Aaron. It's his operation. And they do beautiful coffees and teas. And if you put Cinepunks in uh, your checkout at the coupon, you get another 10% off there. You know what I'm saying? It's a good time, good dude to support, good business, and good coffee because we like coffee here at CPHQ, Cinepunks headquarters. I'm a big fan of coffee. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 something that I live on. I just literally just finished a cup while you were saying that about Essex. I just finished my cup of coffee that I had. I do um, talk a lot. I do talk a lot. That's that's not your fault, Liam. 
I wasn't complaining about you. I was saying you were giving me a break that I could drink my coffee. Um, it was it was a necessary thing I needed in my life. So head over to Essex Coffee Roasters. Get your 10% off. Uh, they have amazing coffee there. They also have merch and tea. If you're more of a tea person, um, you know, that's that's something you want to get. Uh, anyways, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, we also, of course, want to thank our good friend, Sharky, at Mechanical Shark Media who is the editor of this episode you're listening to right now, as well as uh, most of our episodes over the last year, both of this show and Horror Business, as well as the co-host and editor filmographer of, uh, of uh, Showtime with uh, uh, Sharky and Josh, uh, and uh, the, the creator of the latest uh, video from Brick by Brick, um, some other musical stuff. Look, go check out Mechanical Shark Media. Um, they do video services, they do audio services, they make puppets and special effects, they do mastering and mixing stuff. Basically, Sharky is a technical wizard, and you should be hiring him to do whatever it is you think you need. Uh, personally, you know, he primarily does our audio editing, which editing might sound easy. He makes us sound less bad, which is really he makes uh, us sound uh, awesome, is what yeah. he does. Yeah, he's really good, like that, that that's there, but. That isn't even, I think, his highest talent. My man is a brilliant videographer. If you have a music video, a commercial, you're looking for someone to help you work on your short film, a documentary, whatever it is, Sharky's he's he's a goddamn magician, and uh, <laughs> I can't recommend him enough. And you know, th this is a relationship that we have been developing for a while, and now he's off the ground with this business, and we really think that you should support him. And if you do, hit him up for some help. Let him know that you heard about him over here on the old Cinepunks, because that yep. makes us look good, and I like looking good. We love Sharky so much. That dude is one hundred percent one of my favorite people in the world. So. Holla at your boys, Sharky. We love you, dog. Cool. All right. Moving <laughs> on. Moving on. So what have you done lately, Liam, that is whack? What have you done is on track for our next segment, which is called Whacking on Track? Whacking on Track. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, tr I, really, I really did try to do it at the same time. Dude, the best is that I called you last night. You're like, yo, I'm at a show. What show are you at last night? Yo, so here we go. First, ep uh, you know, issue whatever. First, uh, back. I want to back up a little bit here, y'all. Just because me and Josh are friends does not mean that Josh spends any time looking at my social media. It's it's hilarious because when I look through, like, who's looked at my stories? You are the <laughs> only person I know in real life who would never deign to look at one of my stories. It's not that I up. don't look. It's that I try to stay off of social media as much as I can because it'll ruin my self-esteem and self-opinion. You know Honestly, what I'm saying? So, I'm, not I'm not judging you for it, but if people assume that when me and Josh are talking, it's all pretend because we he knows everything that's going on. Nobody assumes that. Nary not one person's like, Josh is faking because he definitely saw Liam's stories on the Instagram. People I barely know, I'll be like, oh, so I had this going on. They'll be like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, oh right, sorry, wow. my bad, my bad, y'all. I didn't, I didn't remember that I already posted about that. But Josh is never like that. He's always like, tell me about your life. So it's like, Josh. it's like our friend Fat Rich, who's uh, he doesn't even have social media. So whenever like something occurs that is like an uh, like you know, even though I don't check it as often as I would if I was just unbridled willy nilly doing whatever, like I still see stuff that's happening. Rich has no idea when anything's going on. He's like, wait, Josh, you're in a band. I'm like, yeah, I'm in a few. 
<laughs> Wait, you Josh, should just you have text, a podcast? You should just text him. Just like I like, do. Once a week, te- text him. Here are the things you missed from social media. And just I tell also him call also. him. I call people on the phone, which apparently is a weird thing, turns out, when people are like, why are you calling me? Just like how you're like, hey, Josh is calling me. It must be an emergent situation. It's like, nah, dog. I just want to hear your voice because that's what friends do. But uh, yeah, when well, I call Rich, I'm I like, was hey, I was literally in a. Sh- I was. I, when no, I said, no, I'm not I'm, talking about just last night. I'm talking yeah, about in yeah. general. That's what you say to me. That yeah, I, I usually <laughs> say like, "Yo, are you okay?" Well, <laughs> no, no, no. Let's be clear. I only say that if I can't answer because what I don't want to do is be like, "Oh, Josh is calling. It must not be important," and then ignore <laughs> your call and then find out later, like, "Yeah, I was calling you as I died on the side of the road." <laughs> I'll be dying on the side of the road and be like, "Let me call Liam yeah. in Chicago." <laughs> I as- no, I assume you've already called. Melani to say goodbye <laughs> and you've called an ambulance and then I'm the third call. Once you've called the love of your life, right? And, <laughs> and, you've, called, and you've called special medical services, I expect <laughs> to be the third call, Josh. 100%. 100%. Okay. Okay. Let's get back to what we're actually supposed to be talking about here. Right. Whacking on track. Liam, Whacking go. on track. Uh, last night. So right now on tour is uh, Angel Dust. Uh for people who don't know, that's uh, Justice, who is in Trapped Under Ice. Uh, it's his. It's it really become his musical project. Other people played on the record, but live, it's it's kind of just whoever's available to like play. And the, the one guy in Bib, right? Isn't that guy in that band too? Uh, I don't. Not at this show, no. But he was the dude that was at the show that we saw. Oh right, yes, that is true. But at this show, no. This was a uh, this was a different group with Angel Dust. So it's Angel Dust, uh, Spiritual Cramp. Which, if people haven't checked out Spiritual Cramp, I love them. I'm gonna talk to you about them in a sec here, Josh, because I took a video of them and I thought, I know, I really want Josh to see this video. And then only now, as we're talking, I'm like, oh, he didn't see that fucking video. So now I'm gonna <laughs> tell you about the video. And then, um, friend of the show. Mike Paulshock and and his I say his band really it's Taylor Madison's band but he plays in Webbed Wing and so Webbed Wing is on the tour and then at this show that I went to last night which is in Milwaukee uh, the opener was Big Laugh and basically for y'all that don't know we're recording this the Monday after Easter so it was just Holy Week and so the show in Chicago was the Saturday before Easter and as a uh, pastor's husband going to a Seriously, Josh, 9 p.m. show. What? Nine with three bands? Show. With four bands? No, well, no, no, no. this show was only three bands because this is what's funny. The club it was booked at is strictly 21 and over, and no one in Big Laugh, I think, is 21, or at least certainly not everyone is 21. So they couldn't play the show. But it, so it was only three bands, but still, nine o'clock. Now, I get nine o'clock on a Saturday night. It's great for most adults. But for me, you know, my wife has to get up to do the like, 6 30 a.m or 7 a.m service on easter so i'm like well i'm not trying to be out till one in the morning or some shit you know what i mean so i skipped that show with the understanding that then last night i drove up to milwaukee how far is milwaukee from you it is about an hour and 25 minutes according to google yeah so it's like it's really not that bad now what's funny is it's actually much farther from chicago than say Philly was from Easton, but remember, 
there's no direct highway between Philly and Easton. So it takes yeah. you the same amount of time. Whereas like, uh, even though it's only like 56 miles, there's no direct road. Whereas there's a high, like a freeway that goes right from Chicago straight into Milwaukee. And that's, uh, and, and so even though it's like 80 some miles, it really was, I mean, I probably did it in an hour 20. So drove up there. It was at a really small place called the uh, Cactus Club, uh, which is so funny because the vibe of this place, Josh, was very DIY. Uh, except for it was definitely a bar. It was like it was like a a, a, a very Midwest style bar married a punk club, and they became <laughs> one thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so like, it, and and it's literally only two rooms: the bar room, in which the bar is like a three sided giant fucking bar, and then the room where the bands play. That's the whole venue. It's, nice. It's, it's, it's funny. Um, anyways. It was a fun show. Uh, Big Laugh. For people who don't know, Big Laugh is a uh, – how do I describe this band? Hardcore played by kids with dangly earrings. No one actually had a dangly earring, but you know what I mean? Like that <laughs> yeah. style of very like old school 80s influenced hardcore. Their early releases are very New York to me. They're very uh, 87 demo yeah, meets – Very stompy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The newer stuff is a little bit noisier. I think they're – borrowing from they've played a few shows with canal Ariel and some other like noisier punk bands i think they're bringing some of that style in while still staying very hardcore uh you know it's it's a sort of hardcore that has like some very solid stompy style breakdowns but also has some really fast parts a la agnostic front and then last night they had a few like kind of rocker parts a la dead kennedys and some noisy parts a la like a like a almost like a post-hardcore sort of thing. So I think they're really progressing as a band. They sounded amazing. Like the last time I saw them, they were good, but they were very noisy, which is good. It works for that kind of music. They've definitely gotten tighter, which might explain why the music is sort of growing. But as I said, everyone in the band is very young. So I think they have a, a long future of like trying new things. And, and it's all, it's all still within that world of like, a hardcore show but a lot of these people are punks at the hardcore show that's still their vibe but they're adding in some other influence as well it's it was very it, they were i was blown away by them and then um i'm not a huge webbed wing fan but i do like that i do like that record they have a record called uh what's so fucking funny i think is the new record and uh, a friend of the show joey breeding is on the cover dressed as a clown and uh it's good it's a good record uh and live it was also good um, and I love, of course, Mike, Mike Paul shocks in the I band. I love Mike Paul. I love He's that dude. dude. Yeah, it's really good. And I, I, I you know, it's not, I, I don't think it's my usual style. Like when you hear it, Josh, it's a little bit more on the like, uh, poppier indie rock vibe that I usually go with, but uh -huh. I don't know. It's something about the guitar playing on it. I just, I really like it. And then spiritual cramp is like my new favorite band. And I wanted you to see, I, I've liked them for a while, but like seeing them live, like reinvigorated my excitement about that band and i wanted you to see the video i took because you know we've talked before that in 2022 the vibe seems to be very baggy 90s like every time yeah. i see people everyone's like in the more of a baggy 90s vibe and spiritual cramp is a band from san francisco in which it's seriously they are the modiest of mods, like <laughs> total artsy, 
artsy former skin vibes, right, uh, except for right. one guy in the band who looks like a Mexican rocker. Uh, I did. I also sent you a picture they took in Chicago on Instagram, yeah. so you could see them. But it's very much like you know they're they're playing a show, and the guitar player has a, a V neck sweater on, very nice, nice button up shirt underneath, fucking dress wool dress pants and dress shoes. The singer has like a very fitted Fred Perry Oxford, you know, tucked in. Uh, the bass player, and the guitar player, are both varieties of small beanie guys. One looks like a <laughs> like a dock worker. The other one looks like a like a very fashionable skinhead. But then there's a guy who just plays the maracas, and he's like, you know, I don't know what his actual background is, but you know, he's a brown gentleman like us. But he, he you know, looks more Latinx than Filipino. He's got shoulder length hair, a leather jacket on, and he's just playing the maracas or the tambourine. Like that's a cool thing. Like no part of him is like I'm just a guy who just sings backup and plays the maracas. He's like these maracas I'm playing are the, are most the important. coolest instrument. They're ever. the most important maracas in the fucking world, and he's like <laughs> rocking out. It's so good. I'll have to send. I'll send you the video because I know you're not gonna look at it on Instagram. So I'll just send it to you. And uh, it was just fun. They're just a fun band. They have a ton of energy. If you listen to the record, it's very not just straight punk it's very much influenced by like new wave and post-punk and there's like a little bit of teeny ska influence in there but like as a band it just rocks it's just even the chill songs are are they just have so much like cool vibe to them as a band so i don't know i was a big fan and then angel dust was good it was getting a little late for me i knew i was gonna be up early today so i dipped out halfway through the angel dust set but I love Angel Dust. People in the crowd were into it. Um, I I like that they still play some of the older songs, even though their vibe has changed. Um, and they the older songs are still good. The new songs sounded great. I really support that that project, which is really again, Justice didn't write the record by himself. I don't think, but he's touring with these variety of musicians, so it's sort of become his project. And that doesn't take away from it at all. It was really good. So. I don't know. I like Angel Dust. So it's awesome. I want to go to Milwaukee. It sounds awesome over there. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a cool show. It was very much like the neighborhood it was in. It felt like a slightly poorer version of someplace like Collingswood, even though we were in the city. The vibe of the neighborhood felt like that, only with bars everywhere. Like Milwaukee has so many bars everywhere. It's like it was it was like I would very much have felt like, oh, I'm in the suburbs, except for there's a bar and there's a bar and there's a cool like Italian grocery <laughs> store. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it there was too much culture around, but the architecture felt like, you know, like I say Collingswood because that's where I grew up, but like a like a suburb, but like not as opulent. You know what I mean? Like the houses are not new houses, but they're definitely houses with like front and backyards. But, you know, that's probably a Midwest thing. I think there are a lot of places in Chicago that feel a little bit more like a suburb than in the city, even though there are also lots of places in Chicago that feel very urban in a in a familiar way to us as Northeast people. But right. there's, but I bet there's no part of, I, I would be surprised if there's any part of Milwaukee that feels like fish town. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think <laughs> yeah, that I exists. Get it. Yeah. So anyways, it seemed cool. There were, you know, I will say, uh, it, it, the show was neat because it was a bit of a diverse audience. Um, uh, the vibe in the neighborhood when I was just walking around cause I got there early was a little bit more like, uh, cool white folks vibe. Uh, but you know, not in like a gross way, just like very much like, Ooh, there's some, there's some people here with like cool hats and interesting jackets, <laughs> you know? It, right, it, right, right, it, right. It, in a way, it, in a way that was very like obvious to me, you know what I mean? And, and there weren't things like, I don't know, children. Like I didn't see kids. <laughs> things you know? like, you know, children. Yeah. Well, you're in a neighborhood. It was in a, na- it wasn't like in, 
a downtown area. It was definitely like a local spot in, in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I get it. Anyways, it was fun. That was that was sort of the the most fun in person thing I think I did uh since the last time we recorded. I don't think I've been to anything else that was like uh oh I did this big event. The only other thing I did was, you know, I made time to see everything everywhere all at once, you know, which we're gonna talk about in a little bit, but that was like a special trip to like make that happen. And then the most cool on track thing I did besides that was uh come back to the Philadelphia area and hang out with you and me and oh, you yeah. went and saw Bib and that was a great show. Uh that was super fun. Yeah, talk about that show a little bit, Josh, and we'll transition into your whacking on track. So we went to the Yuki Club. Which I'd yep. seen shows there before, but it was like, I can't remember like when I saw a bunch of other like indie rockish kind of shows there before. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't remember any, any specifics, but I definitely have been there before. And I was like, oh yeah, I've been to this place before, but, um, it was cool. We saw, um, the first band, I forget the name of the first band. What were they called, Liam? There was a, it was a lot it of was screaming. Like alien something. Alien. Uh, I, I forget. I really don't know. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, we saw Gel. We saw Bib. We saw Chemical Fix. And we saw uh, Tempter. And um, I think there was like two more, which is that first one and the second band. I can't remember their names. But it was a night, man. Someone stole my jacket. I had to get it back. <laughs> and then they left their phone in there. And then uh, we just saw Joey Ross there and uh, Yoni Kroll. Saw all the homies and we're just hanging back and watching loud music. And it just felt really fun. It was a nice night. It was good just to hang out with you, Liam. Like, we went to Ime beforehand and got a bunch of Chinese food or Shizuan food that was pretty spicy. It was good. Did you it like it? It was great. It was so fucking good. It's so good, right? I love that place. It rules. And uh, and then we went to the gig, and we're just hanging out, and um, it was just a fun night overall. Like, it was cool just being at a show and seeing uh, seeing a bunch of friends and just watching good ass bands. I really thought that Bib was super duper fun and really really good. I thought Chemical Fix was probably one of my favorites of the night. I didn't know that the one kid in that band's brother was uh, Jimmy Walsh was his brother, which did not know. Um, but that's cool. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun night, man. It was, it was pretty awesome. Actually. The only thing I did not like was people taking pictures with flash of the crowd, yeah, which I is agree. like, what are you trying to do, bro? Like you're trying to blind people so that they can kill each other. That's not a thing. Just so you know, it was definitely a show where, except for the opener who I just thought their songs were too long. Like, I don't think they were bad. They're just, it was, they had a long set with long songs and I was not stoked on that. Yeah. Other than that, every band was good. Yeah, like Tempter was everything. really, really good, I thought. And uh, again, the thing about I, Tempter is I feel like they're a different band live than recorded, which sounds lame. Like if I said to you, like, I really like this record, then I saw the band and the vibe was totally different live than on recording, that would be a bummer. Only I liked the live vibe. It was like I was like. It almost felt like I was getting two bands for the price of yeah, one. Yeah, like two sides of the same coin kind of thing. Because exactly, that record is exactly. pretty amazing, but it is not at all what they sounded like live. It's just a lot. It's just the recording style, right? It's just yeah. It's a lot messier and live. It was not that vibe, but I still fucking loved it. Like I really yeah. liked that band. So it was super fun. It was fun going to the show, though. I, I really yeah. had a good time. It's funny because I also went and saw. I saw Seven Seconds and. Uh, and negative approach at the church with soul glow oh how um, was that 
Well, what happened was it was supposed to be a bigger show at the TLA with the Circle Jerks. But headlining. the Circle Jerks got COVID. Yeah, Keith Morris got COVID, so then they uh, they canceled the show on the Saturday. Then they rebooked it for that Sunday at the church with instead of Circle Jerks, it was Soul Glow, and it was my first time seeing Soul Glow since you know I was in Solarized. And they are awesome live. They sounded so good. It was it was kind of a bummer not seeing Ruben with them, but it was still cool seeing them play. And Pierce sounded fierce as hell. And um, you know, it was it was just a dope vibe. Like they were so good. They were the best band of the night by far. Cause then negative approach went on. It was cool because it was a three-band bill. And again, all the homies were there. I love a three-band bill, Liam. I love like opening middle support and then the headliner that's it let's do it and like i love that shit just like the succinctness of a three-band show um this show however was a little bit different because as soon as negative approach went on all the monitor wedges in the front of the stage at the church went out and then the rest of the set was just them yelling at ziga (laughs) that was a bummer because in between uh every song uh Jake Brandon was like, what is that? That's his name, right? Jacob Brandon. I keep on getting his name. Com- the, the guy from negative approach mixed up with the guy from converge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's John, John Brandon. Yeah. He kept on just being like, come on, man, we did a sound check and it sounded beautiful. Now can't hear shit. And he kept on saying it in between every song. So like it just kind of messed with the energy of the set. You know what I mean? And, um, it was cool. Like, I still love Negative Approach. They're still one of my favorite bands. They're so ferocious. And even in their older age, fucking vicious-ass band, you know? Yeah, but they still just, sound great live. It was just, it was a bummer, though, because the whole time, John Brand was just like, come on, man. And he kept on saying it just like that. Come on, man. And me and uh, Rick were standing there. And Rick's like, I didn't realize he says man so much. Oh, <laughs> I, like, I, I did know that because he says it on Twitter. That's how uh. his Twitter feed is. Did not every, know. Every tweet starts with "check it out," and then he says something, <laughs> and, he's, and then he usually ends it with "man." Dude, it was weird because it was just a lot of because, like, how do you make an upset band like Negative Approach, who I'm pretty sure they've never smiled in their entire lives, how do you make them more angry? <laughs> Turns out, if you just turn off all the monitors in the front by mistake and not figure out how to turn them back on, real much more pissed off. But it was cool. I mean, like they sounded good and they played a bunch of the hits and it was super fun time. They played Tied Down, they played Ready to Fight, played Pressure, like all the songs, and it was just awesome. Um, and then Seven Seconds went on, and let me tell you something about some Seven Seconds. Um, we all like the hits, right? Like we all like that's kind of just accepted that we love, you know. Walk together, rock together, and then we love Here's Your Warning, and we love, you know, um, I don't know, just the hits, right? Like, we all attacking Red and Black, like, all that stuff. Like, we love that, right? Is that is that not a thing that we all love? It's not a thing. I think a lot of younger people hate that band. Okay, I'm fine with that, because it was like a senior citizens gathering. There was a whole bunch of walkers and orthopedic shoes at this show. Sure, which, sure. I, again, I wore them. I'm not afraid. But, um... There was a moment, there are a couple moments throughout the set that had me like, what's happening? You know what I mean? Number one, they played, just when Kevin Seconds is like, all right, everyone, this one's called New Wind. <laughs> like, what? You're going to play that shit? <laughs> just what? Like, come bro, on, man. Bro, bro, bro. Dude. And I, they know played- a, I know a ton of people who prefer later seven seconds to early seven seconds. Oh, hell no. They played Sadi Graha. <laughs> like, they played all I, that, like, I, our voices, ourselves stuff. Bro, bro, I like Sadi Graha. I think that's oh, a great, I think it's a great record. baby, Jesus. It was, like, the moment of, like, 
I just didn't understand what was happening. And then Kevin Seconds was playing guitar. And it was just like, what is this? And then Kevin Seconds goes, well, you know, I'm 61 years old, so we're still going. It's like, God damn, we are so old, <laughs> young until we die. And I think we're close. It's it's a lot. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. He's, and, uh, he's very old. He made a very sad post on Instagram that had all these people clowning on him where he's like, I might be getting too old for this. I'm really tired. I mean, to be fair, he missed his 31st wedding anniversary to be on tour. And I think he was bummed on it, you know? I mean, yeah. 61, bro. Dude, me and... I mean, it was funny because me and Rick were like, oh, shit, this is so dope. I can't wait. And, like, you know, me and Rick used to mosh a whole lot back in the day. Can you attest to that at least, Liam? Oh, like, 100%. Used to, like, Rick used to actually kill people. I used to watch him kill people. And then, like, negative approach was going on. Rick was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the shit, man. We're going to kill all these kids. And they started playing. And I watched Rick, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect with the hair. And uh, he did not kill anybody. And he no. was, he like went for it a couple of times. I was just like, God damn, Rick looks so old. <laughs> I was like, if Rick looks old, what do I look like? And it was like a moment of like, Jesus Christ, we need to hang it up, man. I think we're done. And like, I mean, to be clear, I stuck it out. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't not mosh, you know what I mean? But also it's like, look, man, Rick is like that dude that like, you know, we all were like, oh, man, if, if anything goes down, just make sure Rick's there. He got her back. It's cool. This time, I was just like, wow, is he, like, slowing down, too? Like, because if he's slowing down, I'm definitely smashing in some slow-mo, almost maybe even backwards at this point. And it's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. There was a lot, <laughs> there was a lot of, like, epiphanies that were handed out by good old Mother Nature at the church that day. And uh, I was not happy with them. Let's we'll be just, let's just say that. Um but that said, it was fun to go to the show and see everybody. Like, you know, of course, all the homies were there. It was yeah. a fun time. And, like, you know, I got to see everybody and hung out with OB and Shayna. Like, and Melani came with me, and she just got home from um, from Denver because she went to go see Jawbreaker with the Descendants, Sam I Am, and Face to Face twice, even though she doesn't like any of those bands. <laughs> it was pretty good. A um, couple other things that I did that was on track. I watched the new Robert Eggers movie, The Northman. Yo, <laughs> the North man, dude. I'm sorry, the Northman. Yeah, but I like <laughs> you saying it the other way better. The Northmans. Yo, that movie. I mean, okay. I don't know about you, Liam. Like, whenever I see runes or Viking things, I'm like, huh, Nazi. And that's just how my brain works because I've been raised and cultured in a punk rock hardcore world where the Valknut is not a positive image. You know what I'm saying? It's not yeah, a thing. Yeah. And like I have friends that are in the metal scene and like they, they have like these kinds of things like they like like bands that have like Thor's hammers and all that shit on there. They're also skin type one through threes. You know what I'm saying? But I, I just, you know, it's just one of those things where I can't tell, you know, like, I don't know if this is racist or not. This movie is full of all that. Cause it's what it's about. It's about like these Nordic people in Iceland's, you know what I'm saying? The Northman's, and it's Ethan Hawke is in there. And, um, it's, there, there's a scars guard and, um, it's the, Anya Taylor Joy is in there, or Joy Taylor. I forget how to say her name. I, you know, it's weird to me. Anya Taylor Joy. That's how I said it. I said that right, correctly, yeah. the first yeah. time, because I'm smart. And um, it was, it was. So this movie. Do you know anything about this movie? I mean, just that it's a Robert Eggers movie. Dude, Robert Eggers. He directed The Witch, and he directed The Lighthouse, and now comes this, and Bajork's in there, and man, it is 
awesome. It's a it is a Viking movie, man. It is so this there's a kid and Ethan Hawke's dad. His dad's the king, and and dad gets killed and the kid runs away and he comes back to exact revenge. And so I've seen it twice now because I went for the one screener that was like the critic only thing. And then they had two more screeners and I couldn't make the other one, but I made the one and I saw the first time with Dan Scully, friend of the show, former guest Dan Scully. And there's a scene in there where he's yelling at, um, he's accusing like the person that, you know, killed his dad and all that stuff. And he's like, I am my father's vengeance. And it's so brutal when he says it that me and Scully just started punching each other in the face. It was awesome. It was so good. I really, really enjoyed it. It looks beautiful. They do a lot of really wide shots with motion in the foreground. That looks amazing, especially since most of it was filmed in Iceland. And it's it's filmed over these beautiful fjords and like in these weird village bits. Like it just looks amazing and it didn't feel racist despite there not being anyone who's a skin type worn up in the movie like i mean of course it wouldn't be because it's a nordic movie you know what i'm saying so like it was it was i thought it was really really well done it's the most non-surrealist of eggers movies because of course the lighthouse has all like the weird stuff in there as does the witch you know but this is the first like just a story, you know what I mean? Like, there are some elements of, like, fantasticism in there. Like, you got Bajork playing a witch, and you got a Valkyrie flying through the sky and all that other stuff. Like, that shit's cool. There's also a, a, there's a magic sword in this. I was into it. I was into it overall. It's one of those movies. It's an action movie, for sure. It is not exactly a horror movie, nor is it exactly, like, a history movie. It's a, it's a fighting with swords movie. And uh, Willem Dafoe's in it. He's, like, rightly creepy in it. And... Yeah, overall, I really, really enjoyed it. Thought it was very fun. I am jealous. I want to see it. It looks really cool. Oh, also, last thing I did on track, like, you know, uh, since we last recorded, I got sent to uh, not Boston, Massachusetts, but Burlington, Massachusetts. Did I tell you about all that, Liam? How, like, they're like, we're sending you to Boston for a week. It's going to be dope. And I got to the Boston airport, and they're like, yeah, we got to drive you to your hotel now. I was like, why is this a half hour away? And then I got to the hotel in Burlington. I was like, wait a minute. Is Burlington not Boston? And yeah, it's actually not Boston at all, turns out. So I was working in a mall at the removery in the mall with my friend Gina, my new friend. And uh, it was cool. Like, I did pretty well, like, professional-wise. But, like, as far as, like, enjoying things goes, I didn't really get a chance to experience Boston proper except for one night. And it was when I went to the Coolidge Corner Theater because they were doing a midnight screening of Game of Death because for the month of April they were doing... Um, double features. Well, not double features. It was like this Friday and Saturdays of every weekend. They were doing movies at midnight of martial arts movies. So they were doing, um, you know, uh, they they did Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. They did um, one of the ones that they did was uh, Big Trouble in Little China. But they also did uh, the one arm uh, was was the flying guillotine was one. They just did a bunch. And uh, the one night that I did manage to get out was. Game of Death. Have you seen this movie? I've never seen it. In fact, you had to tell me about about it because I only kind of knew what it was. It has the iconic yellow suit for Bruce Lee that killed sure. Bill Took. Yes, but it's a weird posthumous movie that happened after Bruce Lee died with bits of a movie that he was filming, including the famous Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fight. But uh, man, seeing it on midnight at the big screen in that Coolidge Corners theater, it was awesome. It was so much fun. I mean. 
I didn't really get a chance to experience Boston because I got to I got to the city right at like nine o'clock and then I had to just wander around by myself around closed stores for three hours until the movie started. But it was cool. The theater is really nice. Everyone in there was really chill and very friendly. And it was cool to talk to some cinephiles in like not Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Like that was a good time. And, um, you know, it was a it was a it was a good night. So if I get sent back there again, I'm 100 percent coming back to that theater. That's cool. That's actually very, very cool. Um, yeah, I, I, you did mention it, this whole thing where you thought you were going to Boston and then you, but I mean, that happens, right? Like people uh, going to, like, I've talked to people who are like, I have a business trip to Philly and then they're actually like in Pottstown or Doylestown yeah. and you're like, like, Prussia, you're, you're like, like, wait nah, a minute, dog. bro. Nah, nah, dog. <laughs> Not a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, mean, that happens out here too. Like the, the one that everyone says is Naperville, which is so funny because like Naperville is 20 minutes west of where I live and I don't live in Chicago at all. So the <laughs> idea that anyone would be out in Naperville like, I'm in Chicago, like, nah, motherfucker, you are not in <laughs> Chicago. You are from Chicago. Yeah, 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 Sorry, yeah. dog. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, the other thing I wanted to mention that was funny, this is just a funny thing that I, I wanted to bring up to you anyway. And I was like, oh, we'll talk about it on the show. So me and Josh are making a spring playlist, which is funny because, Josh, the first song on the playlist is going to be Sometimes It Snows in April for me because uh, <laughs> oh, it's it snowed today, which it snowed a couple times in April. But this is the first time where when I woke up and it was snowing, you could see the snow on the ground. That's how much snow there was. Lame. Visible snow on the ground. Oh, yeah, it's the, wor- it's the worst. So, um, but we were talking about this, guys. So Josh sends me a link, and I'm like, "Oh, what's this?" And he's like, "Oh, we're gonna make a spring playlist." And I say, "Okay, what are the rules?" And Josh <laughs> says, "Spring songs." Like I'm an idiot. Like <laughs> songs that remind you of spring. And I'm, I like thought that was really funny. And I was talking to Susan about it, and then I hit on something. I'm like, "This is how me and Josh are different creatively, right?" So for you, you're like, "Look, no rules, man. There's just a vibe." And here's the vibe. The vibe is spring. So let's set the vibe and all of the rules. We'll figure it out as we go along. We don't need to agree on it ahead of time. It's whatever. And I'm the exact opposite because my vibe is <laughs> tell me how many songs, right? Tell me uh-huh. tell me the number of songs. Tell me what order we're going. You pick one and I pick one or you pick 20 and then I pick 20. Tell me how we're going to order them. Am I putting them in between? Are we sequencing the thing? Whatever. Tell me all that. But the thing you don't fucking tell me is the vibe because that's the creative part. That's where I want total freedom. I actually want a huge... <laughs> huge list of rules and then i say okay what's the vibe and you say the vibe is whatever the fuck you want it to be <laughs> that to me is creativity that's where i'm being creative and it's so like i was talking to susan about because i'm like i don't think it's uh, like i'm right and josh is wrong or josh is right and i'm wrong it's just how we're different josh is like look let's all agree on the on the spirit of the thing and we'll figure out the logistics as we go along and i'm like i need a list of all the logistics <laughs> but don't you tell me what it means because that's what we're figure here to figure out right Right, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like that's, that's, fair. that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's just a, I just think it's a difference in style, perspective, and style. Yeah, 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 yeah. no. I just named the the, the playlist Springapunks, <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. Uh, it is very funny, and and I knew what you meant. But it was, what's also funny is I went through your list, and I was like. There are songs on here where I'm like, yes, of course. Yes, Josh, this is spring. And then there are other songs on there where I'm like, this is Kill Myself in November music. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, there are songs that feel like spring. T- like, I don't, like, I, I should have said to Suze because we were listening to the playlist as we went out to visit her cousins who live on a farm out here. We're driving out there. It's like an hour. And we're listening to the playlist. And I was like, there are songs in here that are like 
sad white boy songs. <laughs> and like, I, you know, Susan, my wife, that I love yeah. sad, white, sad white boy songs, but they make me think of fall. This is fall music. Like, like as soon as like the flannels come out and we start making fires outside, <laughs> I'm like, I need sad white men to lead the way. I need them to be there for me, to make me feel things as the leaves fall from the trees. That's what they're here for. So the fact that you're like, here's my spring playlist. And there's like, you even have a, like a very emotive song from, I think the guy from Avail has a song oh, yeah. in there. And I was like, this is this is fall defined. Like if I was like, what says fall to you? I'm like, you know, a guy from a very meaningful punk band doing a solo project where he's being very emotive. That is the essence of fall to, to me. That and Ink and Dagger. Those are the two things that say fall to me. So, <laughs> But the song that's on there by Tim Mary is actually an Avail song. So, you I know. know, but he's feeling, he's singing it in a way that's like, guys, <laughs> this avail song means a lot to me, and I'm, you know what I mean. Anyways, it's 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 just it's just funny. Like I was like listening to it, I'm like, this is why this will be a fun playlist. Because if we were like, we both have a clear, we have one idea of what yeah. It if means, there was like a, a particular version oh, of God. just the thing, yeah, we would just be like, okay, well, here's a bunch of postal service songs. Yeah. I don't know, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. So you know, I I very much though like when you you were saying that you don't like uh later seven seconds i literally thought oh i'm gonna pick a later seven seconds song to put on the playlist <laughs> and I'll, you I'll, I'll put it immediately after the steppenwolf song because that is so not my vibe that was oh, the man. only thing on there where i was like oh this is where me and josh are very different <laughs> yeah it's i found out in our last episode when you put a ccr as dentist off his music yeah oh not man thing. speaking yeah. of our speaking of our editor that we owe a lot to that really <laughs> bummed out uh sharky real hard that yeah, i said i'm sure that. he's not the only one yeah 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 it's Guys, weird I, I take it back i didn't when i said dental office music i think that that i thought it was bad it's not that i think it's bad <laughs> it's just not something i'm excited about and i don't mean that as like a huge judgment it's just not something that i and if, if you are excited about it that's fine there's lots of things that i i mean let's be clear i meant to say i'm whacking on track and i didn't get there i have <laughs> thanks to our friend and my other co-host justin lore i've gone back to attack on titan and i've been watching a ton of attack on titan which is like the essence of cornball anime to me it's like the corniest of cornball anime <laughs> and yet like I fucking love it. Like I'm obsessed with it. I was watching it as Josh came on yeah, this recording. I heard it on the recording while you were waiting for me to come on the recording. <laughs> Literally. And a moment just happened that was so exciting to me as a fan of the show that I almost told you about what was going on in the show because I was so excited about that moment. And my brain went, nah, man, he doesn't give a fuck. Just don't even say anything. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. I'm sorry. I don't know why. I, I was mean, I've that. watched it. I've seen the live action too. I know Attack on Titan. You know what I mean? Uh, but you haven't, how much have you watched? You haven't watched more than like a season though, right? I watched like maybe like two seasons. Bro, everything goes crazy season three. Everything oh. that they establish is true. Like the world building of seasons one and two is completely destroyed in season three. The whole world they're in is different than you think it is. It's, a, it's fucking crazy. Okay, well then it's I guess crazy. I have to go back. I mean, you're on Terpy, right? They're all on Terpy, so. Yeah. The other thing it's that's funny about this whole Credence thing, there are two things that blew my mind in the past couple of weeks. One of them is the fact that you thought that Credence is dentist office music. The second thing is that I had dinner with uh, Jeff Pelly a couple of nights ago, and the crew was in town, and OB was trying to tell me that there was a McDonald's inside the Franklin Institute. 
And that when you went on a field trip to the Franklin Institute, everybody had to bring money to go to eat at McDonald's in there. I was like, Obi, there's never been a McDonald's inside the Franklin Institute. That's categorically wrong. And he's like, no, man, it's in there. Look in the Internet. And I found no evidence on the Internet of no goddamn Michael Donald's inside no goddamn Franklin Institute. Not a thing. Just saying. Blew my mind. I don't know why I had me sputtering at the time or sputtering now. But, yeah, that's totally what's happening. We've always been a bit of like regional niche casters, but we have gotten this is the most regional and niche we've ever been. As, I mean, as people who are like, oh, do you not live in Philadelphia? Fuck off. Like, that's sort of the vibe of the show. And you just went so niche that, like, before, like, the what has a what? What's going on right now? It has a McDonald's Listen. and the Franklin Institute? What? Before we come back to discuss these two movies by the Daniels, let us know if you think that there was ever a McDonald's inside the Franklin Institute. I agree with you. I don't think there is, but never not once. All right. All right. We'll After right the back. Two movies by a directing team called The Daniels. We're talking about Swiss Army Man and everything, everywhere, all at once. Oof. So, yeah, Daniels. It's a duo of Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. And um, they're some wild filmmakers. Huh, Liam? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it's uh, I guess it's kind of cliche to say that at this point, because that's what everyone's saying. Wow, they're crazy. They're crazy imaginations. But it is true. Like, regardless of what you think about either of these movies, the number one thing I feel like you'd have to say is that they are uh, audacious, right? That both of these movies are trying to accomplish insane things and are willing to portray insane things uh in order to get to some a kind of a truth a, yeah, yeah an emotional truth of some kind uh, did you and, see the video for turn down for what no what you know they did the video for turn down for what i did not know that no that's how i knew about them and then uh swiss army man but um yeah the video for turn down for what is fucking hysterical 
is Little John. Uh, I mean, I'm aware of the artist. Yes. Turn down for what? That song. I'm glad you. I'm glad you said it because I. It's in the name. It's in the name. Okay. All right. I see what we're doing now, and it's not fun. It's a. It's a rock video. Um, quite good. Quite good. But the video is hilarious. You definitely 100% have to watch it before we're done. or but, but Well, I mean before we're done. But also, like, after we're done recording. It's super funny. Just saying. Now, um, I basically stopped listening to you. But uh, I, I, they haven't really done any other full lengths, right? Have they done other full lengths is what I'm I, think I don't it's think all so. Short, it's all short films, right? Yeah, short films is how they became. And then they got – they went um, – Mainstream with uh, Swiss Army Man, Paul Dano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess we should start. We should go chronologically, but let's just say like. Well, uh, let's just you talk know. about it real quick. So what do you think about the Daniels filmmaking? Are you, do you consider this modern day surrealism? That's interesting. Is this the next transgression as the foundation was laid by your Jodorowskis and by your Buñuels and by uh, Obayashi. Like, is this just the next logical step of younger generation of filmmakers standing on the shoulders of the giants who brought them here? Because that's how I see these movies. They are the only band, or sorry, the only uh, directors in in the game right now, to me, that are doing that level of surrealism. You know what I mean? And not only of the Jodorowsky, like cerebral, like Buñuel cerebral type surrealism, but also the visual surrealism of um, Jan Svankmeyer, who, even though it's not the medium of stop action, it still is the narrative spiritual. Of I, I think I think honestly, I think you're being a little too loose with the term surrealism. OK. Because I think while visually I agree, like they definitely at times in both movies kind of push uh, the idea of what is kind of real and, and whatever. I think telling a personal and emotional story, especially mm-hmm. if we're going to use – I don't even know if you could technically say that everything Jodorowsky does is surrealism. Like I don't think that's the – yeah, the, okay. It, it's not it, like Fando and Lee's or yeah, like Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, even as a as a director, Jodorowsky would say he's like post situationist, you know, which so if we're going by the very sort of strict definitions of what these things are, but like none of his stuff I think is about telling a compelling emotional narrative until you get to his later films which by the way we'll be covering on jodowski soon and i'll have a perspective on because honestly i still haven't seen his his more recent films uh but even then i think the level that he's going for is a bit more abstract whereas these movies are definitely strange but like um i would say the newer one everything everywhere all at once is more successfully being like there is a compelling reality here that you can be invested Mm -hmm. in as the reality itself and though it is bending the rules of all kinds of stuff narratively it still works as its own thing and then there is the quite obvious but not in a frustrating way subtext and the subtext is like what you actually care about we all know maybe not everybody does but i think most people watching everywhere all at once will pick up what the movie is actually about which is Mm. both the relationship between a uh, more recent immigrant uh and her 
child, her parent, but also a, you know, basically a a queer acceptance story as part of that narrative. Like Mm. it's more about the modern world in general, but part of that is, is this idea of being able to accept her. And honestly, maybe the issue of communicating that it, it seems to me like, not like the mom is incapable or, or even unwilling to accept the daughter's queerness. It's that she's unwilling to defend it to her own father because of her issues with her father. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, and that that is just one element of a lot of ways that her relationship with her daughter is broken. And the way the movie chooses to explore this very delicate, very personal story, which you know, I'm sure both of these directors have some personal connection to. It's not just abstract for them. It's something that they are invested in mm-hmm. is through an utterly ridiculous weirdo sci-fi narrative that is in and of itself exciting and fun, but like is pretty clearly serving other purposes. I, I don't know that that is in the strict idea of surreal, but is that kind of storytelling the next step in something? Yeah. And I, I'm sure there are people who would probably have examples of other filmmakers who are doing something similar for me personally, Josh, I can't think of anyone. If we're talking about the uniqueness of what they're doing, I I can't think of anyone at least making movies right now. Who's doing this as successfully as they are with such a clear agenda. I'm sure you could probably talk about all kinds of filmmakers who like, let's take for example, uh, the, two dudes who did the endless, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think their movies are often about other things, but they're less directly like, everything everywhere all at once. And I think this is true of Swiss army man, but we'll talk about how that works or not, but everything everywhere all at once doesn't work really. If you're not also invested in the subtext. And I love that. I love that. It's like, yes, narratively, this movie works on the surface completely, but emotionally you care about it. Cause you fucking know there's subtext. You fucking know what's really going on here. And it's really part of the text itself. I say subtext just to suggest that it's not all on the surface, but it's kind of on the fucking surface, right? It's kind mm-hmm. of what's going on. I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. The same way that I think with Swiss army man, while I don't know that I feel as strongly about the, the what the movie's trying to do i think a lot of the things it does do with like using daniel radcliffe's body and the farting and all that shit that everyone's sort of focused on the servicey stuff it is kind of bold to include that stuff but still insist on a deeper something you know in other words mm-hmm. to insist on those tonal shifts and the reason everything everywhere all at once feels more successful to me is that i think those tonal shifts for that movie are more essential. I think for Swiss Army Man, they're asking more of their audience, but for everything, everywhere, all at once, and we'll, we're going to get more into each of these movies if y'all are feeling a little like rushed right now, but I just, that my central thesis is I think Swiss Army Man is asking more of its audience, whereas everything, everywhere, all at once, which is, by the way, far more ridiculous than Swiss Army Man in every oh, yeah, way. For sure, yeah. The ridiculousness allows them actually to push the tonal changes even harder and have it work even more. It To honestly devastating emotional effect this is this movie manages to have some of the biggest bummers and highest highs of any movie i've seen so far this year and maybe in a few years it's it is a uplifting and crushing movie at the same time agreed i think it's a perfect movie i'm gonna put that on record right now point blank it's my favorite movie of the year and i think it's a perfect movie i mean I am probably going to agree with you for the whole year. I guess it's possible some things. I mean, it's always possible, right? It's always possible some other fucking masterpiece is going to come out. But as of right now, 
I cannot fucking imagine any other movie being as successful as this movie is, being as entertaining as it is, and like as meaningful, right? Like mm. I was fucking invested in this thing. So we're gonna get more into this movie. I think the we want to spend a little more time with Swiss Army Man, partly because, and I know if you feel this way too, Josh. I'm really anxious about spoiling everything everywhere all at once, even though I want to assure people, if you're nervous about spoilers, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, yeah. I think the movie works, even if you knew the whole plot. There's what no you're... way. Yeah, because what you see and what you experience as you're getting to the destination of the journey that sets out on at the beginning is so different than what we could possibly say to spoil it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like if I were to say to you, like, yeah, hot dog hands. Like, you're, there's no no element to the movie. You're gonna be like, oh man, Cinepunks fucked this up for me. It's like even when it happens, you're like, what? To like, be that's- fair, to be fair too, with the hot dog hands, it's in the trailer and it's in all the promotional stuff that like she uh, Michelle Yao was on. Uh, she was on a. Uh, Zamero, and she had them all put the hot dog hands on and like mess with so each other. Good. So like. People know about the hot dog hands. But yeah, but it is true that like I know people are sensitive about this sort of thing. And I do know that there are elements of the movie that like uh, people are very like concerned about. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of like they don't want to know how it's all going to resolve. And I don't want to I don't want to take that surprise away from people. So I just mm-hmm. think we'll have a little less to say. But with Swiss Army Man, it's been out long enough. You if fucking you didn't know see it by now. You yeah, you're probably not going to watch it <laughs> unless you want to talk and, about I, it. And like I, you know, spoiler for us, I'm going to say that I don't enjoy this movie as much on the second watch as I did on the first. And I still would encourage people to see it because I think that one of my frustrations is when you, early reviews. I mean, most of the reviews this was Army Man that I saw were positive, but when you uh-huh. have someone that you like and a review is negative. If you're like me, you end up not seeing the movie because you have a limited amount of time, and so then it like goes away. I think there's enough going on in Swiss Army Man that even if you agree with me, just my idea of the movie that maybe it's not a great movie in every way, I still think it's worth seeing because just this, just on a purely what you're seeing on screen level, it is a fucking accomplishment for a movie of this indie level, of this low budget level, to pull off some of the shit they pull off in that movie. And it really gave me confidence that everything, everywhere, all at once, even if it didn't have a $50 million budget, was going to be able to accomplish all the weird multiversal stuff they do because these are clearly brilliant visual filmmakers. And the fact that the movie works also in every other way is great. But it's like I already knew it was going to work visually because they accomplished so much. I mean, there are there are shots in Swiss Army Man that I'm like – how the fuck did they even do that? You know what yeah, I mean? For sure. There's the kind of, I mean, like, it's funny that you bring a budget, right? Because it's like, as I'm watching Swiss Army Man and realizing that this is their first feature length film, like, yo, how did they get the budget to make it look the way that it looks? Because it looks goddamn brilliant. And I mean, maybe it is just the ingenuity of the two filmmakers, but also it's like, it just looks expensive. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a, it's estimated on IMDb, which doesn't mean this is what it is. But the estimate, three million dollar movie. If you really? know anything about m- filmmaking, that's that's no like fucking nothing. Money. Yeah, that's no money. I mean, they had Mary Elizabeth Winstead in there, Paul Dano, and Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, like those are big names, you know, especially at the time. So 
I mean, wow. I'm, I will say, I think Daniel Radcliffe probably came in a deal. He was so desperate to fucking stop being Harry Potter at this point. Like, he was really trying to be like, I'm not fucking Harry Potter. And if you'll remember, he did a lot of crazy-ass movies. Yeah, right he after did Harry Equus Potter. after Harry Potter and all yeah, that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He did the movie where he's a, a white power skinhead, which is, by yeah. the way, not believable at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That was, I forget what that... That movie was called, but I remember the cover. I remember seeing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, let's talk about Swiss Army Man. For those of you who haven't seen it, uh, Paul Dano. I mean, how would you how would how would you do the synopsis of this movie? Actually, because it's it's not easy to do. Uh, okay, so Paul Dano is for some reason washed up on a shore, and he has been there for a while. We don't know how long, and he's ready to kill himself. Right. He's like on an island and then uh, the dead body of Daniel Radcliffe washes up on the shore and then Paul Dano rides him like a jet ski to another shore that's off of the island. And then it's basically him trying to survive in the woods with a dead body on its surface. And he's also just kind of working like it also is like a metaphor for this like weird quite frankly incelish behavior. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And, uh, thank you. It's very like uh, he's just trying to get back to society and you find out that the dead body of Daniel Radcliffe has all these like special powers and, you know, he's shooting rocks and stuff and can talk all of a sudden. And uh, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. I can honestly say I didn't remember watching this, which is funny that we had discussed it on this very show because I remember nothing about it. Watching it, I was like, man, I've never seen this before. And Milani was incensed. Like, not in the usual way that she's incensed at my shenanigans. She was incensed in such a way that she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Of course we watch this. I was like, I have no idea. I've never seen this in my entire life. And she's like, I'm pretty sure you even talked about it on Cinepunks, which turns out we did. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't remember any of it. So it felt like I was watching it for the first time. Which, to be clear, listening public, Joey watches a lot of movies. So what do you want from me? I can't remember everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a goddamn library up in here. You know what I'm saying? Well, let's start, let's start that at the surface level. Take this as if it is your first viewing. How yeah, did, which what it did basically was. What did you feel about it? How did you feel about it on this viewing? Uh, I'm going to say on its face. Face, I'm going to give it like a 10. It looked gorgeous, and it was beautiful, and it was shot amazingly. Story, I'm going to give it about a six to five. I'm not, I wasn't into it. Here's my thing. I think that on this viewing, I felt a little clearer of something that we, I think, talked about before on the show. So if I'm repeating myself, sorry, but like I said, I didn't go back and listen to what we said. Um, but my big concern was, do the directors know that Paul Dano is an incel or not? Right, because yeah, I, I mean, we're using we're throwing that turn around that that there's something unwell about the way Paul Dana was reacting to Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winston. Winston. Yeah. That like, is there something unhealthy? And then the question was, if they're if they are aware of that, that is the film criticizing that. Like the film is almost encouraging you to empathize with him so that they can turn the tables on you and make you rethink about some of the things that might. So in other words, the film could could work really as a high-level criticism of romantic comedies because many romantic comedies are just 
misogyny father. Like they're just mm. some man acting like an asshole in order to win a girl. Like that's often what they are. Uh, or, or even romantic movies. There's like behavior that is actually utterly inappropriate. So maybe the movie functions as some sort of high level criticism, right? And I, I think when I saw it at the time, I still was emotionally affected by it. I think it's a very emotionally effective movie in certain ways. But mm. as I thought about the movie more, I thought, but there's something wrong with the Paul Dano character, and I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, Our, it's that it's a weirdly predatory movie. Yeah, totally. In the sense that, like, it's him coming to terms with himself of having unrequited love. Yeah, but it's also like nobody owes you anything, man. Yes, like, yes. And and like that's the whole like I think that might be the entire thesis of the movie that you know it's like the weight that people carry in order to deal with these right. like disappointments right. in life that aren't guaranteed to begin with, you know, like, well, I think that's what you that. I think that's my final criticism. I think it is intentional. I think they are trying to make us think about this behavior. I just don't think it's successful. Like, I don't think yeah. it in the same way. And, it, and maybe my reading is informed by how fucking successful the new movie is. I, th- I don't think they just, are like yeah no Paul Dano's great he's in love it's a great movie about a guy who's in love no 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 I they are they are well fucking aware that this dude is unhinged and what he's doing yeah, is cool. problematic behavior for but sure. I just and I think because obvious. they but I think because they also are very good filmmakers they sell you on him so hard that they actually struggle at the end to like make the turn that they're trying to make again yeah. this is all conjecture y'all we didn't read any interviews we probably should have read interviews with these guys maybe to really get, but you know when do we do what we should do I know I, I know. That's the thing. Like I, upon first viewing, which is to say, I don't remember my first viewing, and this is the first viewing. Like the end, the resolution of the end is really unsavory to me because it doesn't really make the statement that you feel like it's driving at the entire movie. Yeah, yeah I agree. And uh, I mean, maybe that's that's a fault on my end of not being an insightful enough a, a film viewer. But like, I mean, I get it. But also, it's just like, come on, man. Like what? Like he you still know, sucks. He's you still know what it made me with a dead body. You know what it made me think of? And this will be a painful admission, but I think it's true. It made me think of a Smith song. Fair. That Here's the reality. People who still, despite Morrissey's obvious failings, still love the Smiths. There's a part of me that understands why. Those are some of the greatest songs ever written. They are amazing rock songs. They are. There has not been an artist able to write songs like that forever. And I'll even say that about the lyrics because the lyrical nature of some of those songs are amazing. But there's a handful of Smith songs where I think later Morrissey was like kind of showing his face a little bit. And if you really think about the song and what the fuck he's saying, you got to be like, yeah, man, fuck you though, right? Like – Fuck you a little bit. And like, yeah. I, I think this movie is similar. It's not quite as bad because I think, I really do think they're not trying to defend Paul Dano per se. They're empathetic towards him, but I think they are really trying to turn the tables. But the, the it but doesn't work. It, did, it just doesn't totally work. And that's a shame because if I allow myself the room to say, I think this movie doesn't get at what it's trying to get at and then evaluate the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie is fucking sick, and like I it read, is really good. I yeah. read reviews from people at the time because I went back on Letterboxd just to see what people were thinking about, and there were some one star reviews where people were like, "This is the worst shit I've ever seen," and I feel like those people are not paying or or, or just not giving the movie a chance. There is some great acting, there's some great filmmaking here, but if the ending bums you out so hard that you hate the movie, I also don't judge you because I kind of get it. I think that ending really fucking fails a movie that is otherwise very well put together and very well acted. And very well thought out up until that bit. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, there's just so much to it that's like genuinely engaging and genuinely likable. Right. Sure. Much yeah. like a Smith song. I think that's actually the perfect analogy. Like there's so much of that that's in the DNA of everything that I like about music that just Agreed. doesn't quite get there at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you yeah, yeah, fucked yeah, yeah. up the end again. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, it's kind of the same thing with this movie. Well, and similar to music, there is something like we've all heard a demo from a band and we're like, I'm never going to listen to this again. But I am curious what this sounds like when they're in a real studio and they're a little <laughs> bit better songwriters. I think that's where like I think when I saw this movie, there was the people who love this movie when it came out were fucking frothing at the mouth about how this was like the future of filmmaking. And it was a little bit off putting where if you didn't love it, you were a little bummed on that fact that you didn't love it. Right. Yeah. Now, having yeah. seen their new movie, kind of su- those people were right, but not right in the sense of Swiss Army Man is great. They were right that these directors had more in them. They had more to offer us because all the seeds of what we love about this new movie are in Swiss Army Man. They're just underbaked or under, I, I should say, <laughs> ingredients. Seeds is a bad metaphor. All the ingredients of what would be an amazing pie are there, but they're just, they didn't proof long enough or there's not enough sugar. Something went wrong in the process where Swiss Army Man is, it's not a forgettable movie, but it's not a movie that I could see rewatching with joy in the future. You know, I, I couldn't mm. imagine being like, you know what? Throw on that fucking Swiss yeah, Army let's Man. Revisit let's get into that. that. It's like a Descendants record, like ages poorly. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like that's kind of how I feel about this movie. <laughs> that's a that I, I'm I'm a real descendant hater, so that's a little harsh for me. But I know what you mean by that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like yeah, uh, yeah. anyway. But that said, it's definitely a good movie to watch if you're gonna watch the second movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I consider to be a perfect movie. Now it's funny. Here's the thing, Liam. Yeah. One of the Daniels is named Daniel Scheinert. Right. And the other Daniel is named Daniel Juan. Yeah. The first movie, a lot of whites. A lot of whites. A lot of whites. Second movie, a lot of Asians. Now, maybe it's just my predilection towards that, which is <laughs> more representative of me. But I feel like the white guy did the white one, and now this is the other one by the other guy. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I know. It's not fair. I, in, my, in my idealized satirical world, that's how it is. Like The Asian guy's like, you know what, man? My turn. <laughs> Let's go, I, I especially don't think it's true because I watched the special. There's a featurette on YouTube uh, about the making of uh, everything, everything everywhere all at once. once. It's like a minute and a half, so don't get too excited if you're hearing this for the first time. But it was it was interesting just to see what they put out there real quick. It was put out, it's on the A24 YouTube channel, and uh, one of the things that all the actors agreed on was like, it's weird. It's like the Daniels think with one brain. <laughs> they they just they they finish each other's sentences. They communicate with other. It's it's like they're really like one unit as a creative unit. And I I don't think that's wrong because the one movie that the uh, Daniel Shiner did on his own is very fucking different than these other two movies. It's great. Mm-hmm. I love the death of Tom Long, but it's so different that you can tell that's him doing his own thing. You know what I mean? That's right, him exploring right, his right, own right. vibe. Whereas this movie, it it it's weird. It's it's not weird. It makes sense, right? It feels so much. There's so much similar to Swiss Army Man, and yet it's so much more successful. It works on such a higher level. It just really fires. Okay, people are probably wondering what this is about. Uh, uh, Michelle Yeoh, 
is a, I know it's hard to explain. She is a, a mom. Uh, she owns a laundromat with her husband. She's a recent immigrant. And what's happening at the beginning of the movie is her father is visiting and they want to celebrate Chinese New Year with him. And uh, they are being audited by a very mean Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and her daughter is lesbian and has a girlfriend and wants Michelle bring- Yeoh's daughter, not Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter. Right, right, we don't right. know if Jamie Lee Curtis has a daughter. That's this. true. That's true. Uh, Michelle Yeoh's daughter wants to bring her girlfriend to the celebration to meet their her grandfather and that's giving her anxiety. There's all these things that give her anxiety. She's not doing well with her husband. He's contemplating divorce. All these things are sort of happening. And in the midst of all of this tension, suddenly her husband looks at her and it's like he's a different person. And he starts giving her crazy instructions. Like directives. And what we learn is we are in a multiversal place. So there are different versions of us in different dimensions throughout the throughout the the multiverse right and mm-hmm. they've developed technology where you can sort of go into the body of somebody else who is the version of you in another world and you can also if they're close enough to you borrow their experiences and have their talents and abilities that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have because your life is so different and it starts there and from there we know that there is then also a force for chaos that is in the universe that is basically Set on destroying Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, and I, and this I don't think is a spoiler totally because it's pretty early on in the movie. It is in some way related to her daughter, and so it's both personal and universal. The whole universe is at stake. Also, it's your daughter. Yeah, go. And then, it's, like, it goes from there. And she's trying to negotiate her life in the world that is her world, and also interact with all these people who are coming into her universe from other universes and blah, 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 blah. And the talents that she ends up like adopting per the other people oh, yeah. in these multiverses who was her. So there's who isn't her. It's so good. So there's sci-fi, there's martial arts, there's uh gunplay, uh it there's action, there's emotion, there's totally weirdo moments of like off the wall humor, just ridiculous yeah. shit. As well so as like good. emotional bearing of 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 scars from uh you know having generational fr- violence yeah, and yeah. emotional trauma dude and kehui kwan is in there who you know you remember from the goonies as data yeah. or from indiana jones as short round like he's in there and again I, i've seen him do a lot of talking about how he was basically just couldn't get work in hollywood and it was it was seeing crazy rich asians and he thought Oh, maybe there's space for Asian people again. And he got this is the first role he booked when he put his oh, name back so, out there. And he's so good he's in it. He's so great. good in it. He's so good in it and the multiple levels. Like yeah. as a martial artist and as a comedic actor and as an emotional actor, like all of those things are in his wheelhouse and they're all on full display in this movie. And that's same that the same goes literally for every actor in this movie. Michelle Yeoh showing huge dramatic range. Un- you know unbelievable I mean? performance. Oh unbelievable my God. It, she is so wonderful in this movie. And here's the thing like, okay, I understand how this could be a treatise on um, LGBTQ culture in America, 
but it still just feels like an overarching Asian American story to me that this movie is about a first generation Asian family in America that I mean, come from immigrants. And that homophobia that is in the movie is part of that experience in yes, such a way yes. that it's specifically Asian. To I me. mean, let's be clear. It is a powerful example of a queer acceptance movie. So if, if True. you, you know, people I've talked to who've seen it, it's only a couple people, but I've had a couple people who are friends of ours who are queer say that that aspect of the movie was very emotional for them. But I, but it should be clear to audience members who, or people who might be audience members who haven't seen it yet, that's not all the movie is about. It's not no. just about her coming to terms with her daughter's queerness. The 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 Her queerness is one thing on a whole list of ways that her and her daughter are not connecting. And, and the Daniels have been really clear. This is a movie about them. Mm. They're like, yeah, obviously this is about us. We made a movie where our parents are the star and we're the bad guys. And that's what the movie's about. And this movie is 100% for me. Yeah. And this movie is 100% for people who have my experience. Yes. Of being an Asian person in America. Yes. That their parents came here from wherever they came from. And then that weird push and pull between holding on to a culture and an identity that is almost at best antithetical with the American definition of success that they came here looking for. Right. Which this movie for me is such an emotionally resonant movie. Yeah. I loved it so much. Like I can't even overstate how much this movie means to me. And um, yeah, it's brilliant. I fucking loved it. I think it's worth, you know, they <clears throat> tech from a technical level, the movie looks really good and it really handles what could be, over the top special effects in a very simple way that's never distracting. The martial arts are fun, but it's never it never falls into this is a movie about martial arts. Yeah, it no, never no, no, falls no. into a dour martial arts thing. Right, like, right, right. Even though the stakes are always real, nothing in this movie is real. <clears throat> it has over the top ridiculous humor, like the sort of shit that you, if you have my sense of humor, you will be crying with laughter at how stupid parts of this movie are, and yet. It never chooses to uh, prioritize humor over the importance of the emotional development of the characters and the, and what they're going through, or and it's, the narrative that they're that they're driving. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, and, and it's a movie that deals with. Excuse me, it's a movie that deals with questions of hope and despair, mm-hmm. and yet it never feels. Uh, schmaltzy to me it never feels overly sentimental the movie ends on what you could argue is the most sentimental of ideas of acceptance and love without ever un ever taking anything it hasn't earned and never diminishing the negative feelings that are also a play in the movie that people's Uh. hurt is real people's frustration is real people's nihilism is justified it's mm. fucking it makes it's sense so that good. you feel that way. And and it you know, it, it's also in a sense about mental health. It's there's just so much stuff going on. And it, it's yet another example of how genre film can sometimes get at very intense and difficult topics sideways, indirectly. Mm-hmm. It can get there without going head on. And there's nothing wrong, I think, inherently with making a movie that's head on about uh, a familiar relationship in a recent immigrant family that's difficult. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that drama, right? That could be a great movie. But there's something amazing about being able to make a fun 
funny, exciting movie that gets at all these things with as much gravitas, mm-hmm. but from another angle in a way that's really surprising. It really like, so, yeah. like I knew what this movie was about from the beginning, right? All the cards mm-hmm. are on the table, and yet it still made decisions for me that were surprising. And by that, I don't just mean the silly stuff. There were narrative decisions. I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. expect that at all. It was it was such a joy to be surprised by this movie. And to be surprised by the fact that literally every single character in this movie, all the way down to Jamie Lee Curtis's character as the auditor, has like this sense of agency, that there has this sense of purpose, that nothing is wasted in this movie. Like all the fat is completely trimmed for this movie, which is funny because the movie is such a bouquet, right? Like there's yeah. so many parts to it. There's so many parts that are fun. There's so many parts that are not fun. One of the most emotionally resonant parts that are super devastating is pervaded by two rocks with googly eyes on them. Are you fucking kidding me? Like yeah. that shit is genius. God damn brilliant. It's it's definitely the weirdest movie. My friend Lucas, um, he was like, yeah, this is the only movie I've ever cried at a, a scene with two rocks talking yeah. to each other without words that had googly eyes on them. I'm like, yeah, dog. Like that movie is 100% that. Shout out to Lucas Potter. Congratulations on your baby. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this movie, again, I think it's a perfect movie, Liam. I can't really say anything. Like, one of the climatic scenes is when um, they're trying to pull her away from the bagel, from the everything bagel, on the staircase. And then the grandfather's there, and he's holding, and Kehui Kwan's there, and Michelle Yeoh, and they're all pulling on her while she's trying to go into the bagel. You remember the scene? Oh, I do. Oh, my God. That scene is so, like, again... As the first generation child of immigrant parents, that scene was like watching everything I've ever hated about being an immigrant's child and right. everything that I've loved about being um, the child of an immigrant. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. it was all in one scene. Now, I can't think of any other movie that's ever done that. No. Not to mention, this movie also references like cinematic stuff, right? We're talking yes. about time travel and big references. There's huge references to fucking 2001 A Space Odyssey in here. Like, there's a hilarious running joke where Michelle, uh, uh, Yo's uh, uh, character, uh, miss gets the name wrong of Ratatouille and calls oh it my raccoon, God. raccoon, whatever. And that running joke becomes one of the more emotional moments of the movie as it, it's as it's also so one of the most ridiculous good. and funny. It's so good. It's so good. I actually, I, you know what? We need to like cut it off. Cause I just feel like given the chance I will, again, this doesn't ruin the movie, but I will give you, you know, maybe spoiler is wrong, but I will tease every good thing about this movie. Cause I just want to talk yeah. about it even more. So I let's 100% just, will gush on every single aspect let's of the just, multiverse. Let's just stop. The only thing I will say is it was interesting watching this in relationship to watching attack on Titan because attack on Titan, at least where it's at right now in this final season is very much about humanizing every character and letting that humanization not take away from the, brutality of the show like actually all these characters have motivations that make sense but it doesn't matter we're still going to go with the darkest possible option and so the fact that this movie is going in another way and really just like opening up my heart and i think most audiences heart in such a strong way it was just it was really powerful and really like was helpful for me honestly so anyways go see this movie i that's all that's all we need to say it's really great and you know i if you have thoughts about it you want to talk to us about it we would love to talk more about it i just think 
I don't know that a ton of people are listening who haven't seen it yet, but I, just in case anybody is, I think we're going to wrap up there, and we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to it because I'm sure we'll Someone's going to have something to say about it. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyways, hey, man. I'm glad we got to talk about it. I'm glad you insisted I go see it. I'm glad I saw it. I'm going to try to drag Susan to see it with me in the theater because it really is visually stunning. And it's I hope so that beautiful. if you're listening yeah. to this, you're going to go see it too. So, uh, But hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we love you very much. Always rate, review, and subscribe because it's the currency that us as podcasters really do manage to um, bank on. Yeah. And it helps bring other people into listening to what it is that we have to say. Yeah. And also tell a friend. That's the other yeah. way that you could help us out. Just let people know, like, hey, man, if you guys are interested in punk rock and movies, specifically to the Philadelphia area, yeah. hit up Cinepunks because they're, they're talking about what you want to hear. Yeah. So, check out uh, check out our sponsors, obviously LVAC, uh, uh, Essex, Essex Coffee, Coffee Roasters, Roasters, and Mechanical Shark Media. Um, check out some of the other shows on the network: Cinema Smorgasbord, Twitch of the Death Nerve. We're adding the Carnage Report and uh, the Shameless Picture Show. Nice. Um, check out uh, the the. The last sort of chapter of Black Sun Dispatches is is wrapping up. I, I know Brenda doesn't get to post as often as he would like, but I think that whole series has been really good. So please check that out. And like we said, always say, tell a friend. We really appreciate you. Uh, but that's it for now, y'all. We, we love you. So we'll talk to you soon and uh, have a movie-filled week. I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of The Moth lately. So I guess oh, I is that right? Think, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Smoke Bomb. Kiss Josh square on the lips. <laughs> Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dong. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.